1: Partially recognize me when I get through. (laughs) We'll get this over with. Thank you. Is there one more? (laughs) I thought so. Mike has got tired. <laughs> Thank you very much. My fellow students, when President uh, Wilkinson asked me to come and speak to you this year, I put it off as long as it could. There's always a chance for a man of my age to have something happen to him. (laughs) But I'm here today, and I want to say a little something to you. Give a little message. Not that I anticipate uh, getting out of communication with you at once. But I would like to sort of leave with you a few ideas. It occurred to me to look over what I had done in the past and I find that five and a half years ago, I had talked with you much along the same lines that I am hoping to speak to you today. I spoke about it to Brother Wilkinson and he agreed with me that uh, Most of you were not here then, and those who were had forgotten what I'd said. (laughs) We are all fellow students. We never cease to be students. So long as we are members of this church and so long as we have to learn the truth, the truth that shall make us free. I've been much impressed in recent months with the statement of Paul to the Corinthians. The Corinthians do not seem to have been very much of a religious people. They seem to have in them a good deal of the spirit that is abroad today an apostasy from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so after, in his first epistle to the Corinthians, thanking God that he'd only baptized two of them, he said, For I have determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I want to say a few words today about the Savior and leave you my testimony regarding him. I think sometimes we get so lost in admiration for the mortal work of our Savior that we're likely to think of him merely as a solitary figure sometimes few, few with him, sometimes a multitude, but thinking of him still as one treading up and down the roads and paths of Palestine. I can think of our Savior in two capacities. One, our Redeemer, And the other, a creator. As I shall read to you, all being well, we do not know when the creator role began. We do know when his redemption role began on earth and closed we think of his miracles we think of his stilling the tempest we do not remember sometimes that elijah brought a rain to parch to soak the parched earth of palestine we think of him sometimes as performing the miracle of walking on the water, defying, in one sense, gravity. We forget the miracle of Elijah when one of the workmen, having lost his axe in a stream, caused the axe to rise to the surface that it might be recovered. We read of his feeding the multitude, 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. We do not remember sometimes that the same kind of miracle was performed both by Elijah and Elisha. Elijah caused that the meal and the oil of the widow whom he asked to give him a meal never afterwards gave out from the barrel or from the cruise. She always had meal and oil. We're inclined to forget that Elisha fed a hundred with 20 loaves and to forget that he caused that the oil with which they used which they used in their cooking forget that he caused barrels of oil to come to this widow so that she had to go to the neighbors to get oil We remember the daughter of Jairus and remember the son of the widow of Nain. The Savior raised them from the dead. And lastly, in that great miracle, he raised Lazarus. We think of that as something perhaps peculiar to him But it was not so, Elijah raised the son of the widow, brought him back to life, and Elisha, after him, did likewise with the son of the Shumanite woman. Prophets before the Savior did the miracles of a kind which he did you will recall that once he declared when asked the great commandments thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind and strength and thy neighbor is thyself a commandment given to Israel in the time of Moses. And you'll recall that the Savior made some observation to the effect that all the commandments of the prophets and the law depended upon these great principles. I'm only wanting to point out that in many respects His teachings were known. His miracles had been duplicated before. Some of them were duplicated after by those, the apostles who lived after him. That was not his distinctive work. He came here, he restored the gospel. He fulfilled the law of Moses. He did away with sacrifice. He declared to the people on this continent that thereafter, their sacrifice was to be a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He lived, he died, was crucified, lay in the tomb, was resurrected. And by that act of sacrifice, he made certain that every man and woman born to this earth will be resurrected but I'm not going to speak of that today I want to turn my attention a little more fully to some other things and if Dr. Hales is here your astronomer Astronomer, 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 I hope he'll be rather patient with me I'm not an astronomer and don't pretend to be But I'd like to point this out to you as showing that as I get a few popular articles on astronomy, it seems to me that the great principles announced in our revelations are being, shall I say, proved by modern investigation. I'd like to call your attention to the fact before going to that point, that none of the earlier prophets were either acclaimed as a divine personage, a Son of God. nor did they were they accorded that, nor did they announce it. But I should like to call your attention to the fact that Jesus, Christ never forgot to mention that he was the son of God that was one thing that characterized him from those who went before and from most of those who have gone since though I am not overlooking Simon of Magnus who married a prostitute and professed that he and his prostitute he was the son of God If you recall, the Savior, when he was 12 years old, was in the temple and being sought for by his mother, who finally found him, and who said to him reprovingly, thy father, referring to Joseph, and I have sought thee. Evidently, in the home life at Nazareth, Joseph was addressed by Jesus father. father. Then you remember that Jesus said, wist ye not, <coughs> replying to his mother's question as to where he'd been, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Thus indicating that at any rate at the age of 12, he knew who he was, and what he had to do. And from then on, during his life, his mission, he constantly proclaimed that he was the Son of God. Such was the effect of his statement when he cleansed the temple the first time. When he said, you have made of my father's house a house of merchandise, John greeted him as the Lamb of God. When he saw Nicodemus, the night, one of the nights while he was there on the first Passover, he disclosed to him that he was the Son of God. Later, as he went north from there, he went into Samaria, and he told the Samaritan woman that he was the Messiah. Time and again, he, did the, he made these announcements. You will recall that at the very last, I haven't time to go through with all of them, at the very last, at the illegal trial before Caiaphas, the titular high priest, say who said to him during the trial, I abjure thee by the living God art thou the messiah the christ and the savior said i am and that reminds me that earlier he was having a controversy with some of the people and he said to them the controversy relating to their birth of, as children of abraham and they're asking him how in the world he could be his son of abraham so long ago And he replied before Abraham was, I am. And that referred back to the time when Moses, hesitant to go to the children of Israel and tell them of his great mission, the Lord told him, go to Israel and say that I am hath sent thee. There never was a time, I repeat, when the Savior hid from the people, the fact of who he was, though for reasons which become obvious as you read his record, he did not always proclaim it. I hope none of you will go from here, and I don't, I'm sure you will not, with the theory that the, that the idea of his divinity was a gradual growth in him. It was not so, according to the record. And that doctrine that it was a gradual growth is a doctrine of the higher critics who work through it to the proposition that the idea of his being the son of God was invented by his apostles after his death, and therefore they cast doubt upon Jesus himself. Jesus knew from the beginning, at any rate from the time he was 12, that he was the Christ. Now as to, you may remember incidentally, that God testified to him at the time of the baptism, that he testified to him at the time of the transfiguration, that he testified to him when he came into this continent and introduced him after the Christ's resurrection and ascent to heaven. You'll recall that Peter at Caesarea Philippi declared who he was, art the Christ, the son of the living God, and he said to Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon, for Juno, for flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my Father, which is our Father, which is in heaven. You may remember too, as I have just called to your attention, that John spoke of him as the Lamb of God. And Peter, as I have already stated, these knew who he was. And even Satan, as is shown by his questioning at the time of the temptation, knew he was the Son of God and tried to get him to begin to doubt it, which he would not, to prove it, which he would not. And even the Gadarene devils proclaimed him, saying, What have we to do with thee, thou Son of God? Now coming to this latter part that I want to get before you. I repeat, I am going to read this not because I want to prove that Revelation is right, but to show how Revelation is following along in the path of our Heavenly Father and his pronouncements. There are certain great passages, of chapters in the scriptures, which I think you might find interesting on the point of who God is as a creator. I refer you to Genesis, the very first chapter and the first verse in the beginning. I refer you to Job, the 38th chapter, which is a wonderful, beautiful chapter. Then I'd like to refer you to modern scriptures the first chapter of the book of Moses, and the third chapter of the book of Abraham. I shall refer to these as I go along. First reading from John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life and the light of man, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then I should like to read to you from the 17th chapter of John, the great prayer which Christ offered just before he went to the garden. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovedst me before the foundation of the world." That indicates that before he came here, Jesus, as we knew him here, was a god. He was a god while he was here, shackled with mortality, He was a God when he left us. The the first chapter of Moses, beginning with about the 24th verse, deals, as I read the chapter, first with the history of the earth, second with the world's third with what i shall term the galaxy the milky way and last with the universe itself after speaking about the earth gave and all of it about the inhabitants and how numberless they were and many lands were called earth this record continues the glory of god Being upon Moses, he talked with God face to face, who said to Moses, For mine own purpose have I made these things. Here is wisdom that remaineth in me. And by the word of my power have I created them, which is is mine only begotten Son, who is full of grace and truth. Modern astronomy has proceeded from there and an astrophysicist by the name of Hoyle, a Britisher, has suggested that in this galaxy of ours there have been at least one million suns that have had planets attached to it. Now, he can't prove this. I'm only telling you his speculations. And that out of that 10 millions of planetary systems, that out of that, one million have lived and gone and died. And that 100,000 systems may still be regarded as existence. We have, the Lord said, that worlds without number had he created. Modern science speculates that that may be so. Then reading on. Be merciful unto thy servant, O God, said Moses, and tell me concerning this earth and the inhabitants thereof, and also the heavens, and then thy servant will be content." Modern astronomy, with those great Palomar telescopes, one of which was planned by a Dr. Hales, I don't know whether a relative of your man or not, have penetrated into the heavens for two billion light years. Light travels at the rate of practically 186,000 miles a second. It has taken light two billion years, traveling at that rate, light years, traveling at that rate to reach this Earth. Those telescopes, that one telescope, a big one explores the heavens over a diameter of four billion light years. Nobody knows how many universe, many galaxies there are, But they have discovered innumerable galaxies. heavens. Some have estimated 5 billion, some 10, some 100 billion such galaxies. And they say that there is a limit, a place for untold other galaxies. Surely, this is a fulfillment of what the Lord said as to the heavens. This galaxy of ours is supposed to be in a spiral form, as is a watch spring. It's supposed to be, some say, 100,000 light years in diameter some 75,000, some 60,000. There are billions of stars and clusters of stars and room for many more. How many? Estimated, they, they don't say. But now I want to bring you to this fact, that in Abraham, it tells us this, And I saw the stars, that they were very great, and that one of them was nearest unto the throne of God, and there were many great ones which were near unto it. And the Lord said unto me, These are the governing ones, and the name of the great one is Kolob, because it is near unto me, for I am the Lord thy God." I have set this one to govern all those which belong to the same order as those upon which thou standest. Modern science says that off to the southern of us now, hidden from us by a cloud of dust, 5,000 or 6,500 light years away from us, there's a great center. Made up, they say, perhaps of a few stars, maybe some bright gaseous materials around which all of this Milky Way of ours, this galaxy revolves. They affirm that it takes us 200 million years to make the circuit. And then one thing further, I'm going over this very carefully, Again, reading from Moses. And the Lord God spake unto Moses, saying, The heavens, they are many, and they cannot be numbered unto man, but they are numbered unto me, for they are mine. And as one earth shall pass away, and the heavens thereof, even so shall another come. And there is no end to my works. Neither to my words. I've already stated that modern astronomy indicates that there are billions of galaxies, the equivalent, more or less, of ours. Modern astronomy is speculating as to how this present universe, including this galaxy and all the rest of them, how it originated. I have no time to go into that. They speculate as to what's going to end. But the Lord has said that the worlds and their heavens disappear and then that they come again. Now I want merely to leave with you this thought that Jesus the Christ was a God before he came here. He was divinely conceived He was a half God while he was here, but shackled with mortality. That from here he went to the other side to resume his position in the Trinity, again resuming his full Godship. I wish you would carry that with you. He was here as our Redeemer, He exists. With all the tenderness and all the love that an infinite being can have for us, who, as we know, are his brothers and sisters. Spiritually, we were made by the same Father, which imposes upon us our duties and our responsibilities. I recall what Peter said to the Sanhedrin, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except Jesus Christ. I urge you students, you particularly who are going forth, never to lose sight that Jesus is the christ the redeemer of your souls from everlasting death that we must worship him in spirit and in truth and i bear you my testimony that god lives that jesus is the christ that he was born conceived of mary Mortal, the son of God I bear you my testimony that he worked he served that he was crucified and died on the cross to atone for the fall of Adam that he was resurrected thereby making our resurrection possible every man woman born to this earth will be resurrected. I bring you my testimony that the gospel was restored in our day, the day of the last dispensation of the fullness of times, that through the prophet Joseph, the priest, and all over the priesthood was restored. I bear you my testimony that that priesthood still exists and still continues on down from Joseph until the present, President David O. McKay. I bear all this to you. I ask you to join with me in a determination to live as best you may, that finally you may be saved and exalted in his presence, and I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU speeches compilations on overcoming adversity by study and by faith. Come follow me, love and marriage, and the prophet Joseph Smith. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.